Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. The Word of God this evening, I'd like you to open up your Bible with me to the book of John. John chapter 8, if you would join me there. And I hope you're ready tonight. I might be coming after some golden cows this evening. Our generation has its own version of idolatry. And uh, I was really, um, after after the service this morning, I was really moved. uh, I was really inspired by some... Some things I actually uh, preached about this morning, began to think about in my mind and put this message together uh, between the services just for this evening service. So John chapter 8, have you ever known someone who has a gambling addiction? It's a very tough addiction, isn't it? And uh, so I've seen families that have been torn apart, I've seen fortunes wasted, through the addiction to gambling. And I think we could all agree tonight that that's not a great thing to see in someone's life. If you saw a trip to, uh, to any casino, you might see, do we have that picture ready of the casino? There it is. If you might take a trip to a casino in Arizona, there's many casinos, you might get a similar view of a bunch of uh, gray-haired uh, old folks spending the inheritance of their children on the slot machines, <laughs> one quarter at a time. Now, let me ask you a question. If you personally knew someone, or perhaps you were married to someone, or had someone in your immediate family that spent five hours every day in front of one of those slot machines, think about that, five hours a day, and that person lived in your house, let me ask you, Would it be right for you to confront that person and say, hey, I think you might have a problem? You're at the casino from 12 noon to 5 p.m. every day, and you're even spending money that you don't have to feed a gambling addiction. Now, that, that is definitely something that you would speak to them about, isn't it, right? As a good pastor, I would probably have to confront that person. If you, as a family member, are not able to persuade them, as a man of God, as a minister of the church, it would be my duty, my responsibility to say, hey, uh, this is not a good thing. Uh, We are not called to be slaves, are we? We are called to live in freedom as Christians, freedom from our sins. Five hours a day, just to to, uh, think about that a little more, that would be 35 hours per week. 
that would be 75 days out of the year spent in front of a slot machine. I hope tonight that you would see the good sense in asking a person like that to back away a little bit, more than a little bit. Maybe tonight you could limit, maybe you could reduce, or maybe you could leave it all together. Tonight, I want to give you a test. And I want you to be honest. I'm about to ask you 15 questions. And if you answer yes, just do a mental note in your head, yes or no, the answer to the question. And count up in your head how many times out of 15 you say yes. Are you ready for this? Okay, here we go. That was not the first one. Here's the first one. Do you find yourself spending more time on your, on your smartphone than you realize? Say yes or no. Do you find yourself mindlessly passing time on a regular basis by staring at your smartphone? You don't have to answer out loud, just in your mind. Just think about it. Do you seem to lose track of time when on your smartphone? Do you find yourself spending more time texting, tweeting, or emailing as opposed to talking to people in person? Has the amount of time you spend on your smartphone been increasing over time? Do you wish you could be a little less involved with your smartphone? Number seven, do you sleep with your smartphone under your pillow or directly next to your bed on a regular basis? Do you find yourself viewing and answering texts, tweets, and emails at all hours of the day and night, even when it interrupts other things? Yes or no? Do you text, email, tweet, or surf while driving or doing other activities that require your focused attention and concentration, like being in church? Uh-oh, I just got somebody. Number 10, do you feel your use of your smartphone decreases productivity at certain times? Do you feel reluctant to be without your smartphone, even for a short time? Do you feel ill at ease or uncomfortable if you leave your smartphone in the car or at home? When you eat meals, is your smartphone always part of the table looking at you? When your smartphone rings, beeps, or buzzes, do you feel the intense urge to check for texts, tweets, emails, updates, etc.? Finally, do you find yourself mindlessly checking your cell or smartphone many times per day, even when you know there's likely nothing new or important to see? That was 15 questions. I have to be honest. When I took that test, I got 14 out of 15. After the test was over, this was a, uh, a test that was up on the website of a uh, psychologist on his website. He helps people with addictions. And here are the results. If you said yes one or two times, you have normal behavior. If you said three or four times yes, you are leaning toward problematic or compulsive use. If you are five or above, it is likely that you have a compulsive smartphone use pattern. Eight or higher. You might consider seeing a psychologist, psychiatrist, or psychotherapist who specializes in behavioral addictions for consultation. I'm being honest tonight. I answered yes, 14 out of 15. 
And God began to show me something about myself that I hope you might see in yourself tonight. In the scripture we're about to read, we find our strategy to keep our hearts and our minds in the right place. And before we read the scripture, I want to ask you to do something radical. Can I ask you to do something radical? You know, Jesus asked people to do some radical things, didn't he? I have a basket up here. I would like to ask everyone in this place to deposit your smartphone for the duration of this sermon. Yeah, that's still a smartphone. All right, in the car, in the car, let's, let's have them. Okay, I know it's going to be painful. Some of you are getting nervous right now, starting to sweat. You're feeling your palms. I got it, Ramon. I want to talk to these people. I want to look them in the eyes. That's you too, Hannah. Thanks, dear. Oh, you're going to be in, whew, we're going to see about this one. Glory to God. Praise Jesus. I feel like I, we, could, we could take this up, sell it, and raise up an offering for world evangelism. <laughs> no smartphone on you? Oh, you walked it up to me. That's right. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll record it. You can listen to it later. Take notes. Yeah, that's okay. I got notes. I can give you notes. Oh, she's having a hard time over here. Let's pray for her. Jesus' name, deliver her from the fear of giving up her smartphone. Yeah, you can do that. Paper and pen. The ushers would be happy to give you paper and pen. <laughs> All right. Smartphones, smartphones. Where's it at? I want it. Okay, keep digging. Mike, no smartphone? Left it at home. <laughs> She's got to dump it out and rake through the mess. Here we go. Wow, it's getting heavy. It's a whole lot of technology in here. You don't have one, Jayla? Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, no problem. Hey, Joe needs a Bible over here. Wow. How much freedom do we already have in the house of God? Wow, that's about like that's about 15 pounds of slavery right there. Okay, and just so you know, this is mine. That's going in, the, in there as well. Yes. Okay, they're bringing it. John chapter 8. Now you, some of you don't know where to find the book of John because you don't have your smartphone. John chapter 8 and verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 36 goes on to say, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Everybody say free indeed. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I pray for your grace and mercy to preach this truth tonight. I'm praying, God, that you would give your people a kingdom-minded reaction to your word tonight and to these things that we're about to understand. I'm praying, God, that we would have eternal perspective and that you would help us in Jesus' mighty name. There's a message I've titled, Acceptable Addiction. If tonight, if it is not right to allow a friend or a family member or a loved one to spend five hours per day in front of a slot machine, would it also not be right to let our friends, family, neighbors, and loved ones spend five hours per day 
on a smartphone. According to the most recent uh, statistics, the person on a smartphone, the average person, is looking at their phone over five hours every day. Just think about that for a moment. Five hours every day. As I mentioned, that is 35 hours per week. That is 75 days per year. And I believe tonight what we need, what we need is a wake-up call. So this is going to be not just preaching but some teaching. And I want to help you to understand what are the effects of so much smartphone usage. It, this, is the, this is the first time that we've seen such a change in behavioral patterns. Uh, this is a, a technology that has changed the world. When Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone in the year 2007, he said sometimes there's a product that comes along that just changes everything. And he didn't know that he was speaking truth on that day. Since the 2007, when the first iPhone came out, the first smartphone, and since then, Android, of course. And, uh, and it truly has changed the world. But what's concerning to me, it's concerning about my life. I'm preaching just as much to myself as I am to anyone here tonight. Is to see the change in my own mind, in my own pattern of thinking. And my own difference, the difference I see in our relationship with God versus a time before there were smartphones. You are probably addicted to your phone. Can we just be honest? You are probably addicted to your phone. And there are reasons why you are. It's not an accident. It's not just because you made a decision to be addicted to it. But these, uh, these phones have been designed in such a way that they draw you in. The apps are, have been designed. The operating system, the games, the social media apps have been designed in such a way that you end up being like one of these people, pulling the lever, ka-ching, 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 for hours at a time. And whether it is through entertainment apps like Netflix, which suck you in, and they automatically play the next episode within five seconds after the end of the last one, or whether it's a game that you're pushing the same button again and again and again and again and again, or whether it's the social media, have you ever noticed in apps now, it's almost universal, there's something called the slide to refresh. You pull down from the top, and then it creates that little spinning wheel. Ooh, something about that little action causes you to want to do it again and again. Or whether it's the Instagram feed, as you're sliding down the page in search of something, you don't even know what. All of this has been designed very carefully by software engineers to keep you on the phone. It's more than just the change of technology. The smartphones begin to nag you. They disturb you when you're working. They demand your time and attention and then reward you for giving it to them. Smartphones can engage us in disruptive behaviors that traditionally have been performed only by extremely annoying people. Isn't that true tonight? So a former Google 
product manager named Tristan Harris. He said, he said this, he said, your telephone back in the 1970s didn't have a thousand engineers on the other side who were redesigning it to become more and more persuasive. That's the difference now with the smartphone, is that's exactly what we have. We have tens of thousands of software engineers who are asking one question, how can we stop people from putting the phone down? As I mentioned in the morning sermon today, many of the CEOs of Silicon Valley and technology companies, they understand what I'm talking about tonight. And they do not give technology to their children. I mentioned Steve Jobs. He very famously was the head of the Apple company before he passed away, was instrumental in bringing the iPhone and the iPad into existence. And so he was doing an interview in 2011. This was one year after they released the iPad. Somebody, uh, Nick Bilton, a, a journalist, asked Steve Jobs how his children liked using the iPad. You know what he said? He said, we limit how much technology our kids use at home. Steve Jobs said that. Same is true of Microsoft founder Bill Gates and his wife Melinda. Their children did not receive phones or technology until after they were 14 years old. Something tonight, these CEOs know, the rest of us don't know. They know how addicting it is. Your smartphone, whether you know it or not, is using psychological manipulation. It is turning the chemicals of your own brain against you. I mentioned this morning, again, about a hormone called dopamine. Anybody heard of dopamine? Dopamine is a chemical in your brain that is rewarding the pleasure center of your brain. You get a hit of dopamine when you are doing something that is pleasurable. Uh, the reason why tonight, the reason why cocaine is such an addictive chemical is because it activates the dopamine in your own brain. The, the cocaine itself doesn't do anything except trigger that dopamine, that happy feeling. And that dopamine is the exact same chemical that you get when the little bing comes up on your app with the little red circle that says you have one notification to read. When you get that, that little buzz in your pocket, ding, or a text message, it's the same hit of dopamine. And this begins to, to train our brains in a certain way to react to our phones. That's why many of you are nervous, fidgeting. Not able to sit still tonight because I don't have it. Where is it? Where could it be? My phone is not in my pocket. It's not at my side. And so that dopamine begins to be depleted. That's the problem with the dopamine is that when it is triggered so often, it can be depleted and it develops an addiction. This is where addictive behavior comes from. There is something that the psychiatrists call the intermittent reinforcement. That's why these slot machines are so addictive. You know, if you're playing a slot machine, what's happening is you don't win every time, right? That wouldn't be any fun. Well, maybe it would be if you won every time. And it also wouldn't be fun if you never won a slot machine. And so they have built into these types of machines a certain ratio. For however many plays, however many quarters you deposit, then you're going to have a certain number of wins along the road. Maybe it's 1 in 50. Maybe it's 1 in 30. 
Maybe it's one in a hundred. But the point is that you don't know whether the next time you pull the lever is going to be the winner. And that action of intermittent, rewarding, it's not every time, it's also ne not never, that intermittent reinforcement is the same thing that's happening on your smartphone. When you wake up at 2.30 in the morning and you turn on the phone and you're looking at emails at 2.30, why in the world would an email be important at 2.30, keeping you awake in the middle of the night? I don't know, but here's why. Because maybe, just maybe, there's going to be an email in there that has good news for you. It means something. It has value. Maybe it's an email from, from your uncle or aunt or lost cousin. And, you know, because it's not every time we get so much junk mail, thousands and thousands of junk email, and, but we're willing to scroll through all of that so we, we can sort through the, the pile and hopefully pull the lever one more time and there's going to be something in there that says you're the lucky recipient of a prince in Nigeria. And you can give them all of your account information, and they're going to send you half a million dollars. One in 50. This is the intermittent reinforcement. There are apps that are designed to keep you coming back. It's kind of like, like a craving. You know, we all crave certain foods, right? You have food cravings. But with food cravings, you know, naturally, hopefully, they're going to go away after you eat a sandwich, right? You feel hungry, you eat the sandwich, you feel better. But that's not the way it works with social media. Phones and apps are deliberately designed without those stopping points to tell us when we've had enough, which is why we can so, it's so easy to binge on these apps. There is a certain level where we understand that as we're looking at these things, we understand that it's not good for us. You have that thought in the back of your mind, I could be doing something useful with myself right now. I could be saying a prayer or reading a Bible or calling a friend. I could be uh, working on some projects. that I, I could be paying some bills. I could be doing some. But we think, ah, we just keep scrolling again and again. And often we tend to blame this on our own willpower, and certainly that has something to do with it. But what we're not realizing is that behind the technology, there are designers who are deliberately building into these apps a dopamine response. Every action is designed to make you feel good. When someone posts a photo on Facebook and attaches your name to it, ooh, that's a good one. That's almost irresistible. They've actually done tests on people. And if you, get the, uh, if you get the alert that says someone has posted a photo and they've tagged your name on it, it's nearly irresistible for you not to look at it. It's all built in. They've designed every action to give you that hit of dopamine that makes you feel good. One, uh, uh, it, one um, interview. In 2017, on the 60 Minutes program, Anderson Cooper was interviewing a guy named Ramsey Brown. And what he does for a living is he creates brain-hacking code 
for app companies. And listen to what he says. The goal is to keep people glued to an app by figuring out exactly when that app should do something extra to make you feel more awesome. This man has a background in neuroscience, and he offered an example of Instagram. On Instagram, he says that he helped to develop a code which deliberately holds back showing new likes on your photos that you post so that it can deliver them in a metered time. So in other words, you post a photo on Instagram, and you think that people are hitting the like button, and you're seeing their name pop up as they hit the like button. But that's not what's actually happening. Let's say you have 10 friends that like your photo, and they all hit like within 30 seconds. Can I tell you something? You're not going to see 30 alerts in 10 seconds. You're going to see 10 alerts over the course of 10 minutes because it keeps you coming back in to the app. It keeps you checking your feed. It keeps you looking at their advertisements. And that's what it's really all about, isn't it? It keeps you paying attention. And here, just let me put in a, 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 a word for your children. Your children cannot handle the dopamine addiction. They can't do it. If you have a problem with being addicted, then how about your child who has not learned self-control yet? Let's compare this to alcohol addiction. We have some people here that used to suffer from alcohol addiction. Maybe you know someone who is addicted to alcohol. In nearly every case, people who are addicted to alcohol, it started in the teen years. Nearly everybody. And there's a reason for this. In, uh, in our early childhood, what happens is uh, as we're young people, you know, growing up, uh, 10, 12 years old, the only person in the world whose approval you desperately need is your parents, your mom and dad. I just want mom and dad to approve of my life. And you don't really much care about what else the rest of the world thinks. But as we grow into adolescence, those teen years, something begins to happen. Something changes in the minds of young people where now not only are we seeking approval from our parents, but also from our peers from people around us. All of a sudden, what people think at school becomes more important than what our parents think. Am I right? You remember going through that as a teenager? And that causes some friction in the home. It's a natural uh, process of life. And the reason what this is supposed to do for us is it's supposed to build our ability to have interactions and relationships with people. It's supposed to help us to gain a network of friends. And normally, what should happen is that when you're going through a hard time, you go to a friend and you, you say, I'm having a hard time. Could you help me? What happens with alcoholics is that instead of going to a friend, they go to a bottle. A bottle is used to cope with those negative emotions. And that, that same chemical reaction that causes the dopamine in their brain to give pleasure for a moment but the alcohol, how I many know, has devastating consequences. When you are under the influence of alcohol, you will do things that you would not otherwise do. And it's especially dangerous and tragic when it's in the teen years. Because as a teenager, if you become addicted to alcohol, then it, is, it becomes a lifelong pattern unless Jesus changes things. 
and who can change them. But here's the point that I'm making. Just as powerful as an addiction to alcohol, I would say even more is the addiction to the smartphone. Your children cannot handle this. It's becoming a huge problem in schools. Teachers cannot teach because of this problem right here. Attention is nearly unavailable. And this dopamine hit from phones and tablets is every bit as addictive as alcohol. Every bit. And maybe even more. Let me talk about social media for just a moment. Can I talk about social media? And the social media app. Can I compare it to your diet? If we could compare social media to a type of food, you know what it would be? Junk food. Junk food. It's like potato chips and ice cream and chocolate chip cookies. Now, it might be okay every once in a while. It might be all right to have a nice dessert from time to time. But listen, you cannot eat chocolate chips for breakfast every day. You cannot eat Snickers bars for, for dinner every night. Right, children? You can't do it. If, you, if your diet is only junk food, it won't be long until all your teeth fall out and your liver rots and you're going to be in the, in the hospital. Let me tell you something about social media. Why do they continue to build these incredible apps? You, did you know that the Facebook app is absolutely free? Did you know that Twitter is a free app? That this incredible social media platform, they don't even charge you to get on there. You can post as much as you want. You can organize your pictures. You can connect with your friends. You can organize. You can plan. You can do all kinds of things through these platforms. Why are they offering it for free? Did you ever stop to ask that question? I'll tell you why. Because you are the product. They are selling you. They are gaining your attention. In fact, if we were to talk about the word attention, did you know that attention is something that you pay? Attention is like money. Attention means your time. You can only think about one thing at a time. No matter how much you think you can multitask, I challenge you right now. I dare you, double dog dare you, try to have two thoughts in your brain at the same time. You can't do it. You can only pay attention to one thing at a time. And once that time is gone, it's gone. Do you know why Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, why these platforms are offering their apps for no charge? Because they are being donated time by you. You are paying them with your attention. You never thought about it like that, did you? I know I didn't until I started researching this. You are paying attention to their platforms. And do you know who's paying for your attention? A thousand advertisers. And those advertisements that come up, you are paying for that with your time, with your attention. The average smartphone user spends five hours a day paying somebody else's bills earning money for somebody else, making people in California super rich with your time and your attention. Listen to these numbers. 
New York Times analysis calculated that in 2014, that's five years ago by now, but in 2014, Facebook users were spending a collective 39,000 years worth of attention on their website every single day. And that was five years ago. I'm sure it's at least double that by now. But just imagine that. 39,757 years worth of attention every single day. And let me just remind you, that is attention that you did not spend on your family. Attention you did not spend on your job, your earning power, your budget. That is attention and time that you not, did not spend in your marriage, on the Bible, on Jesus. And just like time, once you pay attention, it's gone. And may I give you this truth tonight. Your life is an accumulation of the things you pay attention to. Your life is a gathering of things that you see and experience. And if you are spending five hours a day seeing and experiencing and consuming junk food, one day we're going to look back and regret. When we are consumed with this, I want to tell you, it makes you depressed. I have an article here um, that I will leave out on the table, but the, uh, the headline of this article says, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? This comes from the Atlantic magazine, and I have a couple graphs that I'd like to show you. The quote that comes out of this article that I want to share with you is this. Listen carefully. It is not an exaggeration to describe the iGen when we talk about the iGen, you know, there's the Gen Xers. That's my gen. I'm the tail end of the Generation X. And then after, uh, after us, you know, children born in the 80s and early 90s are Gen Y. But then the one that are coming up now, so teenagers that are, that are now, you know, the age at this moment between 10 and like 18, we call them the iGen. This is what it says about them. They are on the brink of having the worst mental health crisis in decades. And this deterioration can be traced directly to the development of a smartphone. Let me show, see these graphs to show you what I'm talking about. So this is a graph that shows from 1991 to 2015, less likely to get enough sleep. This is a percentage of 8th, 10th, and 12th graders who get less than 7 hours of sleep most nights. How many hours of sleep do you need if you're a healthy person? If you're an 8th, 10th, or 12th grader, you probably need uh, you need 10 to 12 hours of sleep per night, right? So this is the children who are getting less than seven hours of sleep. So in 1990, it was less, close to 25. Here's 2007 when the first iPhone came out. It's close to 35. Since then, look at this. Spike. Not getting enough sleep. Let's see the next one. Not hanging out with friends. This is the number of times per week teenagers go without their parents, going all the way back to 1976. So on average, back in 1976, it was almost three times a week that teenagers would go out without their parents. Here's the iPhone in 2007. Look at that, drop off. It means that students, teenagers, are not hanging out with friends anymore. 
They're not developing social skills. And it's no wonder that the amount of marriages in this generation is dropping off the cliff. Let's see the next one. This is percentage of 8th, 10th, and 12th graders who agree or mostly agree with the statement, I often feel left out, I often feel lonely. Look at this, 2007, when the first iPhone was released, has spiked again. Often feel left out, often feel lonely. Next one. Dating. This is dating. 8th, 10th, and 12th graders. 2007. The amount of dates has gone off. Hey, romance is dying because of social media. And do you know why this is? Because when you're on social media, you are looking at the best version of people. When you're following celebrities, the only time that they're going to post, you know, they're not going to post a picture right when they wake up in the morning with death breath and hair all over the place. They're not going to, hey, duck lip that. No, no, no. They're not going to post the ugly pictures. They're only going to post after hours of makeup, hours of getting ready. And then, and then, then they put that. And when you look at that, you cannot help but feel less worthy. You cannot help. I'm not as pretty as that person. I'm not as beautiful. It can be traced directly to smartphones. These devices, beloved, are changing the way that your brain works. Could you imagine if you spent four hours a day or five hours a day trying to learn how to play the piano? four hours a day, well, you'd be like a Mozart in a couple of months. If you spent four hours a day studying personal finance, boy, you could probably save up quite a nest egg for yourself. If you spent four hours a day learning Spanish, you could be fluent in only a few months and go down to Costa Rica. If you spent four hours a day in prayer, how many of your problems could God solve in a moment? If you spent four hours a day reading your Bible, five hours a day reading the Word of God and, and studying and meditating as we mentioned this morning, don't you think that would have a positive effect on your life? You'd be closer to Jesus? If you paid more attention to things that were more important than our smartphone screens, but the problem is that with our phones, we don't feel it because it's often time that is wasted in little bits and pieces. Five minutes here, 10 minutes there, 18 hours there. It's not concentrated. And, and, and when we're doing this, listen, listen to what this causes. It's changing the way our brains work. It's not like reading a book. Now, it would be one thing if you were reading a book for four hours a day. Because your mind and your attention, your focus is on one place. But when you're looking at your smartphone, you know, you're getting a range of all kinds of different things. In five minutes, you could be angry, you could be happy, you could be silly, you could, have, uh, you could be uh, angry at Donald Trump and then be agreeing with Donald Trump at the same in five minutes, right? And, and you can have a fight with your friend on the left coast. And then you could uh, 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 repost somebody else that you agree. And you've got this wild range of emotions. 
in five minutes. And we become this scattered brain. And by the way, the whole time, notification, notification, text message, jump back and forth, news app, social media. We're still not usually focusing on any one thing for more than a few moments. We end up like those little water bugs. Have you seen those ones? That's, that they, just, they stay on top of the water, skittering across the surface, but never ever diving in. And our attention and our focus never goes for a deep dive on anything. We never truly think something through. We never truly take more than a few moments to really understand things. And, and yet, at the same time, we are so completely absorbed that we don't even see or hear things happening around us. When we were in Boston, maybe you've been on public transportation, you've seen it. You've seen that, uh, that there's a whole bus full of people or a whole train full of people. And there's a hundred of them in a tiny spot. Or you go to the airport, you'll see the same thing. And there's a thousand people in a small space, and you know what they're all doing? In previous generations, maybe you start up a conversation with somebody. You meet someone from across the country that you, that you never knew. You make a connection. You make a friendship. You make relate, Or you read a book. You gain something helpful for your life. You read a whole book in one sitting. But today, what we have become is this. Listen carefully, and we're going to shut it down. We have become an intensely focused state of distraction. When I read that, I thought, that is my life. An intensely focused state of distraction. There are other things that the smartphones are destroying. How about your memory? For those of us old enough to remember a time before smartphones, uh, I asked my wife before the sermon tonight, I said, before, before there were smartphones, before there were cell phones, how many phone numbers did you have memorized? And she started naming them off. My mom, my grandma, my and she, probably 10, 8 to 10, right? And those are 10-digit phone numbers. Do you remember when we had to do that? We had to memorize phone numbers so that you could go to the pay phone. Boy, I'm sounding like an old guy now. Man, you put the, drop the quarter in the pay phone, and you have to remember. And if you didn't remember the number, you had to dial information, 411. Hey, can you find the number for uh, Chick-fil-A down the street? You remember all that? And once you got the number memorized, you had it. You had, and so what has this called? We don't have to memorize things anymore. We don't have to remember things for ourselves. Our smartphones are making us dumber. They really are. When's the last time you tried to memorize 10 numbers in a row? Before a smartphone, you probably could have done it pretty quickly. Not anymore. When's the last time you had information in your mind rather than looking at Google for every little answer? It disrupts our short-term memory and even our long-term memory. And finally, it stresses you out. Yes, it does. Listen carefully. In the past, if, if you were to go to a, uh, to a therapist or a, a psychiatrist or something, and you would sit down on their couch and you would tell them this. In the last day, 24 hours, 
I have felt happy. I've felt sad. I've been excited. I've been anxious. I've been curious. I've been frustrated. I've been ignored, felt important. I've been lowly. I've been joyful. And I've also been depressed in the last 24 hours. They probably lock you up and say, you need some serious help. And yet that is exactly the experience we are having, especially on social media, nearly every single day. It stresses us out, and it messes with our sleep patterns. Imagine with me how difficult it would be to fall asleep if in your room you had a Republican and a Democrat senator arguing about the latest problem in Washington. Could you, could you get any sleep while that was happening in your room? Could you imagine if there was a, a political debate that was happening? And yet, <laughs> this is exactly what we're reading, watching, texting, posting, at the very moment you're trying to fall asleep. No wonder you're not getting enough sleep. No wonder I'm not getting enough sleep. The phone's effect on our sleep is very concerning. When you consider what science already knows, what happens when you're not getting enough sleep. They call it chronic fatigue. Can I remind you what this will do to you if you don't get enough sleep? If you're not getting at least seven hours of sleep every night as an adult, you have higher risk of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and even early death. They say long-term sleep deprivation can affect judgment, mood, ability to learn and retain information, and may also increase the risk of serious accidents and injury. We're talking about your life here, your health. When you don't get enough sleep, it's harder for your brain to filter out distractions. You have poor self-control, and you're less able to tolerate frustration. No wonder you're ticked off all the time. No wonder I'm ticked off all the time. I'm not getting enough sleep because of this stupid phone. Even just a week and a half worth of sleeping only six hours instead of seven hours. If you did that for a week and a half, only six instead of seven, they have marked this. The Division of Sleep Medicine says these results. It will give you, if you did that every night for a week and a half, it would give you the same level of impairment as if you had stayed up for 24 hours straight. And what that does is it gives you a performance in your life, in your brain, equivalent to a blood alcohol level of 0.10%, which is beyond the legal limit in most states. So by your lack of sleep, it's almost like the same effect of you getting drunk and getting behind the wheel and trying to correct your children and trying to make a living. Put the phone down and get some sleep. I close with this thought. There's a spiritual fallout as well. It's more than just our health. It's more than just our well-being. Let me ask you these questions, and you be honest in your heart. Are the devices in this basket? Oh, somebody just got a hit of dopamine right now. Oh, he brought him out. Oh, I almost got him back. Are the devices in this basket helping you to be more like Christ? Are they making you more sensitive to the Holy Spirit? 
are they getting you closer to heaven or more further away? I just felt somebody buzz in there. First John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We need to take back our brain. Jesus made the statement in our scripture, you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I should have taken away smartphones too. I mean smartwatches. <laughs> Some of you got, got around my little, my little game here, checking that, whoa, I, I can check my notifications. Y'all so you. <laughs> We need to take back our brains. Abide in my word, and you will be my disciples. The truth will set you free. Addiction to smartphones means that there's a part of our lives that is not free. We need to decide tonight what is worth paying attention to. So, some practical advice as we close. Practice being mindful to people. If someone wants your attention, someone needs to talk to you. So here's the thing. If, I, if, if you come up to me and you say, hey, pastor, I've got a question, and I say, yeah, what's on your mind? Yeah, what, what's going on? How do you feel if I'm doing that? Do you feel like I'm giving all of my attention to you? No. How about if I just have it in my hand? Yes. What's on your mind? Still, it's the same, isn't it? Or if, if Jaylee says to me, say, hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? How about if we do this? Yes, dear. What's on your mind? Isn't that different? Haven't I just told her that I care about her and I want to hear what's going on? We need to put our phones where they need to be. We need to get back to real life. Practical steps tonight. Repent from the sin of idolatry. Giving our time and attention to things that do not bring glory to God. Every phone, every smartphone has some kind of limit on screen time. On iPhones, if you have the latest version of the operating system, there's an app called Screen Time. that You can set it to alert you. You've spent more than two hours in this app. Shut it off. Use it. Replace social media with actually being social. Instead of texting or calling, why don't you invite someone to your house? Go out for coffee. Spend time. Talk with someone face-to-face. And don't keep the phone on the table. That doesn't count. The phone's on the table. Oh, you say, oh, but pastor, what I'll do is I'll turn it face down. No, it still doesn't count. Put it in a drawer. Put it on the shelf. Put it in the room and talk to somebody. You'll be amazed. Play a board game, Scrabble, Monopoly, or Risk. Here's another uh, uh, practical thing you can do. What I'm going to practice tonight, I'm going to take my phone and I'm not going to bring it into the bedroom going to charge in another room of the house. I'm going to shut it off, and I'm not going to look at it until after I wake up. 
establish some boundaries in your house, a no-phone zone. How about this one? Buy a real alarm clock. Practice. Practice this. Practice focusing on one thing. This is what we've lost in our generation. I know. You want to go see the game. I know. 